Igniting our children's imaginations through a wholesome and exciting Catholic lens is something homeschooling families care a lot about. Today's lovely guest is author Haley Stewart with a delightful new mystery series that will surely help. It is my joy to help with introducing the Sister Serafina Mysteries. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Welcome, I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today we're talking with Haley Stewart, and we're introducing the Sister Serafina Mysteries to our homeschooling audience. Haley Stewart is the managing editor of Word on Fire Spark, which is their children's division, and the author of The Grace of Enough, Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life, and the Sister Serafina Mysteries. She's married to her high school sweetheart, Daniel, and they have four children. Haley, it is so good to see you, and I've got contact information and book links and things in the show notes, folks. We're going to have so much fun today, but welcome back. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And uh, as we're kind of in the Advent season, there's already that excitement. But I am so excited that the great publishing house of Pauline Books and Media has done so much for children's literature and for Catholic fiction. Um, just, It's just a great trend to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Catholic fiction is kind of having a new little renaissance or people are realizing the importance of supporting Catholic fiction. I just got to go to the Catholic Imagination Conference at the University of Dallas a few weeks ago. And it's just exciting to see, just talk to other writers, see people notice the importance of the stories that we tell to our children, but also just to grownups cultivating the Catholic imagination and kind of just lens through which we see the world, enriching that through stories and how important it is. Yeah, and I feel like the, <laughs> I'm not going to be too melodramatic about this, but the forces that are kind of pitted against our values and our families ignite imagination all the time, very, very effectively. And so we need to be in that holy place of a Catholic imagination, right? And providing all the fuel for that holy fire in our children. I'm so happy about your series. Now, this series is set in a very unusual location, and it features <laughs> very charmingly evoked and illustrated characters. So just give us some background on what inspired you to write this and place it where you did and all of that. And say a word or two about your wonderful illustrator, if you don't mind. Sure. So... I woke up one morning, early in the morning, out of a dream about mouse nuns who lived underneath G.K. Chesterton's house. <laughs> and so I was legally obligated to write these stories. After I would that. say so. <laughs> um, so here, let me see. This is the first book here. Let me Aww. see if I can. Our wonderful illustrator, Betsy Wallen, I'll tell you the story of getting connected with her. Um, but her illustrations are so great. And this is one where you've got Chesterton and his wife, Francis, and then the little, the little mice listening to him reading Father Brown. Um, 
but originally a good friend of mine who's an artist was going to illustrate and then she got pregnant with a long desired pregnancy and it was a high-risk pregnancy and so she said I'm just not gonna be able to do this project right now so we were so sad that she couldn't do it but of course understood and then it took a long time for the sisters to find the right person and then they finally found Betsy Wallen and she just got it like her illustrations are so lovely they're just so charming these sweet little mice so oh, that was beautiful very, very exciting so the first book um the pursuit of the pilfered cheese this is Sister Serafina, who is, they're called the Sister Serafina Mysteries. And she's part of an order that runs a little school for the village mice underneath G.K. Chesterton's house. They have a little abbey under there. And um, <laughs> <That's awesome>. they're, <laughs> it's, it's, so, I love it's it. so cute. You and say I that like I, so matter of fact, but it's <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> and so she's a younger, she's a literature teacher and she's younger. And in this story, most of the other sisters are older and so another young sister joins the abbey and she has a wildly different personality from the reserve sister seraphina but they become friends oh. and and then there's a mystery to solve and two of the students help them so that there's you know student young children characters too for the young reader to enjoy mm. and they have to solve this mystery to help save the school and then <laughs> in the second one so this is the christmas one the Yay! curious christmas trail and in this one one of the elderly sisters who's experiencing dementia wanders off and so they have to go and find mm. sister dimphna but it's it's just my favorite it's my favorite of the series i've written mm. three so far and it's my favorite of the series just because the the young students really connect with this older sister and have just really sweet friendship with her. And so I just love highlighting those intergenerational relationships and kind mm. of just showing the blessings that those kind of relationships can bring to both you know, children and seniors. So I, I just really like that piece of it. Wow. I can't even tell you my like you work for word on fire i have heart on fire right now i have my heart <laughs> is literally like glowing listening to you because we have on my mother-in-law lives with us she's almost 100 years old she'll be 100 in a few weeks and i love her so much but i never had a heart for the elderly the way i did until i lived with an elderly person right yeah you know i'm a little impatient they move slow you know what i'm saying like i didn't get mm -hmm. them but the fact that you have delved into the waters of that relationship with a young person and an elderly person, a frail person, I just think that's so important at this time in our cultural history, too. So these, I'm super excited about these. And yes, I think you found exactly the right author. Sorry, illustrator. <laughs> um, can't talk today, but that's okay. Um, so I love that some of these values, some of these Catholic values of loving people from, you know, that whole cradle to grave or from conception to natural death, the way we think about life as being so precious is really embraced in this story and really communicate aligns with how we kind of feel about ourselves as a, as families. Um, well, it's funny because the sisters reading these stories, they said, we love how you've woven some of this Catholic social teaching into your stories. And I said, Oh, is, is that what I did? I didn't realize, you know, I was just writing the story and kind of following 
the characters, I wasn't trying to, you know, oh, this one's going to be about this or this one's going to be about that. And so it was, I was delighted to hear that, but it wasn't even on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. I almost want to like knock that thought out of your head because when we go in with an agenda, we get a clunky, you know, ideologish story, which we see a lot of from well-meaning writers. But you started with the heart. You started with that place of inspiration and God spoke what what was needed into the story. And of course, through your own experience and values and heart. Um, Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great thing to say, because we will be able to draw out for ourselves as adults from these stories. Ah, that's that. This is a place where my child can land in that deeper truth. And so that's true of Chesterton's stories, of C.S. Lewis's stories, so many other Catholic and Christian authors over the years, where they didn't write them with an agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think that so often when we do that with fiction, especially if we go in with an agenda, then it it does often ruin it or it comes off almost propagandistic where mm-hmm. you have to, I, I really think you have to start with the story because that's the way you respect the reader. You're respecting the child reader by presenting them with the best story that's going to be engaging, compelling, and and true, you know, have have real truth to it. And then those other elements are going to come out or help form the imagination in a way they might not even notice. But when we're so heavy-handed, it's almost disrespectful of the reader who wants who wants that. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants to read that. Yeah. Now we're just going to take a quick sponsor break. We have wonderful sponsors from Homeschool Connections, and we will be right back with Haley Stewart. Hi, I'm Walter Crawford. And I'm Maureen Whitman. We are the co-founders of homeschoolconnections.com and proud sponsors of the Homeschooling Saints podcast. Which is here to help you homeschool more joyfully, more easily, and more effectively. We want to thank you for listening. And we invite you to check out our courses at homeschoolconnections.com. And now back to our program. All right, we're back with Haley Stewart, and we're introducing to our audience the Sister Serafina Mysteries, and we have links to them in the show notes. But I'm so excited because there's this sense within this kind of sparkling sense of almost like what G.K. Chesterton, you know, said about angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly. There's this lightness of being, I think, that happens in that inspirational place of being free to write a great story. Yeah. And so what impact are you hoping for? I mean, that's a heavy question, but what are you hoping kind of ripples out? What would you like to see result from these stories being out there? Sure. So one of the things I, I you know, didn't Again, I didn't write the stories with this in mind, but one of the things that excites me about these stories is that they might spark a vocation in in someone, in a child's heart. So they'll be reading the story and maybe they don't get to see sisters in, in real life. You know, we don't have a lot of sisters in, in my town for my daughters to see in real life. And so having some of these characters who are very, you know, they're mice, but they're very human (laughs) and they're very relatable and lovable and warm and have, you know, little quirks and flaws, but are just getting to know them might spark the imagination in a child to think, oh, well, what if I was called to be a sister? What would my life look like if that's what I was called to do? So just 
planting that seed in a child's mind that religious life is also an, an option for me as I'm imagining my future. And that's exciting to me. And then I, I just love, um, I love my little characters so much. I'm obsessed <laughs> with my little mice. Um, but just seeing the, the way different virtues come out in different characters because of the way that their personality is wired and how, you know, it might look different, but seeing them all, you know, try to be courageous or try to do what's just and, and compassionate and, and just seeing that come out in different characters and their different gifts and personalities is just really special. Well, I love that too, because when we study the lives of the saints, we see how completely unique and unrepeatable they are, and we can find that hope in ourselves, and also them being so human, so lovely. There's also the sense to me when a believing author explores any kind of a mystery, it also taps into that sense of there's something more, there's always something more to be discovered. What is it like for you approaching that sense of mystery in the story? Sure. Well, it's funny because I never start a book even knowing what the mystery is going to be. So I really just start writing and follow these little characters where they take me. And then it kind of forms and I figure out what the question is. And then I have to figure out how to solve it as I kind of follow them around. Um, and I think that a very Chestertonian way to look at mystery and detective stories is this sense that there's something out of order in the world. And then through the grace of God, that the order gets restored. You know, I think that's one of the reasons like when I'm going through a really stressful or traumatic time in my life, I watch a lot of murder mysteries, which <laughs> sounds so weird. You know, why would you watch murder? But it's yeah. It's starting at this place of disorder and then justice comes in and restores it and, and sets things right. Order's restored. So it's chaos to order. And there's something very Christian about that trajectory that I think is comforting and beautiful. Mm. I love that you're using the word order, from chaos to order. You know, we talk as Catholics a lot about things being ordered toward God, that that's where we find the right way to be and live and, you know, to order ourselves. But also there's that sense, which I did a recent interview with Father Robert Spitzer, and he said 85% of scientists at, you know, upon graduation or emerging from these atheist universities believe in, that there is order and design in the universe, that there is someone behind it. Most of them are believers. And so mm -hmm. this sense of order being an indication of the presence of God, I love that you just connected it back to that. And, and that's something that we absorb over time as children and there, you know, the kinds of order that we're exposed to. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if you know, we don't know all that's happening when we're reading fiction, but we are soaking up these truths that there is something out of order in the world, but the end of the story is that it's going to be set right. That's the kind of universe that we're in. And I think that's so important, especially for children to read, to understand, you know, what is at the heart of the universe? Is it chaos and meaninglessness or is it a loving God? And so that, that I think is so key to how we perceive everything around us, having those questions 
um, be explored in the stories that we read. Mm, yeah. And what is it about exploring the mysteries that as you're intuiting your way through the stories, I remember years ago, I was trying to write fiction, I don't have that talent. But I remember, you know, reading about it, some authors completely outline and know from A to Z before they start writing and others create a world and characters and the characters, in a sense, creatively talk to them in their heads, and the story almost writes itself, right? But then they have to figure it all out. And so I'm hearing that in you, that ideating, intuitive sense of writing. What has emerged for you and what you're noticing about the quirks of your characters? Like you have such love for them. And I think that's critical, that that love piece. What are you noticing about your characters and their journeys that that particularly touches your heart? Yeah, I think that um, I love the community between the characters, you know, the friendships between the characters. And so Sister Serafina is very... She's kind of calm and reserved and she's very, you know, has it all together. And then this other sister comes in, um, Sister Alberta, who's just a whirlwind of, of personality. And she's always, you know, bumping around through the <laughs> Abbey. And, but even though they're very different, Sister Serafina um, was a little bit lonely, you know, needed another sister her age to to understand certain things that the older sisters, it was harder to connect with them with. And so I just love that even though she's a character that has it all together in some sense, she's still a human being who really wants that connection and, and desires that and longs for that. And then having another character who's so different from her <laughs> that really needs like a grounding <laughs> influence and just seeing how our, our different personalities and the way God makes us really complements the the church and the mission of the church. You know, we need Sister Serafina's and we need Sister Alberta's who are just gonna barrel through the abbey with their new idea, you know, and we need all of those people together. And so I think that's something that excites me as I get to know these characters, just seeing how how necessary each one is, which reminds us how necessary each of us are to the mission of the church. Mm, I love that. That's just beautiful. I think of iron sharpens iron, you know, from scripture, that what might irritate us about someone might be the very thing that we need to help complement us to complete what God is putting together. And so that's part of the mystery of it, too. Like, wow, that person sees the world really differently, responds to it really differently. They're called to be a nun, too. Like, that. there's that unexpected place of everyone's called to sainthood, but oh my goodness, are we different. <laughs> Oh, so just on a practical level, I want to make sure we know, um, do you have a projected number of books in the series, or is this something you're also intuiting your way through? So three have been written. So we've got book one, Pursuit of the Pilfered Cheese, and then book <laughs> two, The Curious Christmas Trail. So these are all available. And then a third book, which I, I believe our final title is um, The Strange Sound by the Sea. Ooh. is is the third one and then we're we're talking about doing a fourth one so i think probably there will be four total ah oh, nice nice so something to look forward to to you know feast upon and uh, as this is coming out we'll have the show links for the two available books um do you have a sense uh, or, or did you say when the third I is coming out i think the third out? one should come out next spring okay so great. spring 2023 
Okay, fantastic. So be looking for those. Maybe maybe that pre-order link will pop up pretty soon. Um, we'll see. Uh, and you can definitely order the first two in time for Christmas. So FYI, these would be just delights to have under the tree, just such holy uh, you know, things that will ignite our children in really loving ways. But I really don't want to fail to touch on an adult offering that you wrote recently, because I'm a big Jane Austen fan myself. I wouldn't say I'm a big, big fan, but I love some of her books. Um, and you wrote a really neat book for adults. So would you tell us a little about that too? Sure. So the book's called Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life. And it looks at Jane Austen as a life coach for us to teach us about virtue, how to how to live a good life, how to be a good person, because those are really what her novels are examining in a really fun, comical, delightful way. She's so wittily looking at these issues of um, what does it mean to be virtuous? What does what happens when vice happens in a community? How does it affect other people? You know, it's really examining all of these big questions of moral philosophy in a really fun way. And so I looked at each of her novels and kind of followed the trajectory of at least one of the characters who is learning to cultivate a certain virtue. So seeing where they began, how they developed that virtue, and then how we can explore that idea and really reflect on our own hearts and souls do do I have that virtue? How in what ways do I need to cultivate that virtue and and what would that look like? How can I kind of join my friends of in these novels to cultivate and and grow in holiness? Oh wow. Would you mind just kind of pulling the thread on one that you particularly enjoyed writing? Sure. Well, um I mean I I loved writing all of them, but <laughs> what for just for an example Emma is the character that I relate to the most, which is not good because she's the worst <laughs> of all the heroines. She is the most terrible yes. of them all. Um, and her her flaw is that she's incredibly selfish and she is so unself-aware that she doesn't even know this about herself. And so the in the novel, she is able to develop the humility to gain that self-awareness and see how far she has to go and then really actively try to make amends and become a better person. And she does that through her community, both seeing how what she's done has hurt her friendships and hurt the people around her, and then seeing a better way through people in her community that inspire her, particularly in this novel, it's her friend, Mr. Knightley, who becomes her romantic interest. But he has to be very honest with her about how she's hurt people because it he cares about her and it makes him sad to see her mm -hmm. doing this. And that because of their close friendship, she's able to hear that and develop the humility she needs to address her wrongs. And so I just really connect with that story because it's hopeful. It's saying... If this is if this is what you struggle with, you don't have to stay like this. You know, there's a way forward. And so I think it's hopeful and exciting. And also it's such a funny, hilarious, hilarious book. So it's a fun way to learn these lessons and try to bring them into our own lives. Oh yeah. And it's a work of mercy to correct someone. 
you know, and charity to let them know, hey, you're off the rails here, my friend. This isn't good. You can be better. Um, what are some of the ways that you draw out from the story and give us a place to kind of connect and and live out? the cultivation of that virtue. Well, I try to draw on stories from my own life, learning, trying to learn some of these lessons and, and think about them those ways. And then I also look at how did it work for this character to get better? Because some of the characters in Jane Austen's novels never get better. So, so what's the difference between the heroines or heroes who are learning and growing and the, you know, Jane Austen doesn't really have many villains because her characters are very human and complicated. So it's not, they're not one note villains, but what is the deal with the characters who don't develop what's holding them back? And so seeing how our friendships and our community act as mirrors for us to see ourselves um, and see how we can really grow from those the gift of those relationships and how god god's grace often moves through the community that he's placed in our lives and so being willing to have eyes to see ourselves even when it's very uncomfortable and so so just kind of learning the the practical lessons of how did this work for this character and how could that work for me Mm, I love that, that we can befriend that uncomfortable space of facing up to our own lack, but with a sense of hope with as a learner, as you said, what are the characters that are learners? Ooh, so good. So good. Yeah. So, gosh, the, one of the things I love about your kind of track record as a writer, you originally wrote when we had our first conversation, and I will put that episode in the show notes, we originally talked about the grace of enough, which was your family's journey into like a really radical journey into simplicity, and lots that you learned from that. And it and it created such a a powerful and a very intentional shift in your family's way of life. Um, and then on to Jane Austen and now Sister Serafina. There's just so much, there's kind of an agile, creative spirit in you that I just want to um, kind of call out and appreciate that it's not stuck in, in a, you know, it's very risk-taking. And, and I feel like that's kind of our journey of faith as well. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave people with as we're thinking about these little mice under the floorboards and their personalities and their virtues? And maybe maybe some of us adults thinking about grabbing your Jane Austen genius guide to life. Um, where would you like to leave us today? Sure. I, I think I'd like to circle back to what we we're talking about at the beginning and the importance of Catholic fiction. And the piece of that that I want to draw out is that the Catholic imagination, we often think of that as this is what writers and musicians and artists are responsible for. But I think it's so important to remember that readers and listeners and viewers are such a big piece of the Catholic imagination. No, None of the creatives can do what we want to do and create these, these um, works without people who are reading or listening or viewing and sharing and and bringing these into the conversation. And so for the, for the Catholic imagination, I think we so often think, oh, Flannery O'Connor, Graham Greene, Evelyn Waugh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's all so far in the past. But I think there are so many great Catholic fiction writers who are writing right now. And so to really cultivate the Catholic imagination 
we need the readers. You know, we need readers who are who are buying the books and reading the books and sharing the books. And that's how we bring Catholic fiction back into the literary conversation. Wow. Yeah. So everybody take that to heart, take it to prayer. What's our part in receiving? My sort of theme for Lent this year is generous, receiving generously from the people in my life, but also from God and from what he places before me and offers to me. And that could be a new book. That could be a great conversation about what those characters are thinking and what's, you know, what's changing in them with our, with our children. And we can really ignite wonderfully imaginative conversations. And we often see when children read something imaginative that catches their hearts, that they start playing the stories. They start living in it in ways that are mysterious, right? The best thing about writing these books is getting little pictures from my readers, their drawings of the characters. It is the best. I mean, just to think like it sparked their imagination enough that they wanted to color these sisters and, and send a picture. Like that is the absolute best. Oh, that's lovely. So feel free to send stuff to Haley. She <laughs> loves it. And you're going to be able to find her at Substack, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'll have the book ordering links as well. And also the previous interview with Haley about her first book. Uh, Haley, thank you so much for making the time today. I know you're juggling a lot to be with us and we appreciate you finding that order out of chaos to give an interview. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fun conversation, Lisa. Oh, as always, so good to see you. Everybody, thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to having another great conversation with you next week. Uh, God bless you all. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.